for Royals Review Radio. I'm Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review, and joining me as usual is Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing tonight? Good, good, Max. You got you got the intro in one take, man. I know that it's amazing. Great. You know, it, we work on this just like you know the Royals work on spring training, and I've been doing my drills, and uh. you know it's something over with practice. You know, it's like turning the three-one uh, infield drill. So uh, yeah, for, uh, this by this point, I've gotten it down in one take. So. Smooth. Also joining us is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, how are you feeling uh, this this not quite spring evening? Well, let me tell you, I am not in the best shape of my life, but I am focusing on fundamentals. So we're, yeah, we're kind of set up. You've always been kind of like the Chris Getz of our site. Like you're just very fundamental, mistake-free. Uh, you know, hit, oh, one out of the park, nice. hit one out of the park once, once every couple of years, uh, but, but, but very solid, trustworthy, uh, valuable member of the site. So I appreciate that. Many poke points. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about uh, the Royals roster and some of the roster battles in spring training and give our predictions for the now 26-man opening day roster. But first, uh, we've had a few fake games from uh, spring training in Arizona. Uh, so not like a whole lot to, to you know uh, gauge from the Royals so far. But one, one of the players that's kind of turning heads early in camp is Brady Singer. I think there's been a lot of uh, expectations on the young man and some of his, uh, you know, fellow pitching prospects in the system. The 2018 first round pick was talked about a potential candidate for the rotation this year, and so far this spring he has not put those suggestions into any kind of doubt. So far in his first two outings, he has pitched three innings with three hits allowed, no runs, no walks, and four strikeouts. And it's not like he's facing AAA scrubs either. He's faced uh, some good hitters from the Cubs and Indians, guys like Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, Fran Reyes. Jason Kipnis and Domingo Santana. He retired the last three of those guys on strikeout. Uh, Matthew, it's early, but should we be impressed with what Brady Singer is doing so far? Or is it always the caveat that that the Cactus League is kind of, uh, we should take it with a grain of salt? Well, I think the phrase pump the brakes was, um, came up with uh, or originated in order to describe two outings uh, in spring training, you know, uh, the results of it either way. Um, but I do think it's worth watching. Um, but it is certainly worth, um, you know, uh, you know, worth watching uh, Brady Singer uh, pitch against these guys because he hasn't pitched any uh, time in AAA. Uh, so this is really the first time that he's getting, you know, some of these guys. And, you know, even if some of the guys that he's facing are AAA players, well, he hasn't really faced those. I mean, he's faced some AA players, obviously. Um, but it's certainly worth keeping an eye on. Um, and I, I just sort of, hope that he's not so good that he forces um, the way into the Royals rotation, which, you know, it doesn't, the Royals aren't going to need a fifth starter and that's what he would be. He would be the fifth starter um, until April 9th at the earlier, at the earliest due to off days and stuff. Um, But really it's not going to take that much longer to keep him uh, in the minors and get another year of service time. Um, and that's a huge deal, especially if you think he's going to be any good, you know, getting seven years out of a guy instead of six is, you know, gigantic deal, you know? Um, so it'll be interesting to watch and see if the Royals aren't, you know, tempted, uh, on this temptation Island spring, uh, to call, to call him up before he's, you know, he's ready. And I, I get it. He's sort of the face of the new prospect wave, kind of like Eric Hosmer was a little bit in 2011. And you want to call him up. But at the same time, you know, in 2011, Eric Hosmer hadn't had any AAA experience. And I'm, I don't remember what spring training, you know, what he did in spring training that year. But he, he was 
readier than Brady Singer is, really, and he didn't get uh, called up immediately to play first base. He went to AAA. I think that's the smart move. I hope that the Royals do that with Brady Singer, too, and he could go back to AA, too. That's, you know, that's fine, and then call him up a couple weeks later. But, you know, there's no guarantee that Brady Singer will be a good everyday starting pitcher at the top level right now. And so there's no reason to rush it. You know, this is, like I said um, a couple podcasts ago, this isn't like Chris Bryant, where Chris Bryant had already succeeded in AAA. Brady Singer hasn't thrown a single inning in AAA. But that's also part of why watching him in spring training is going to be really interesting, because he's he's facing hitters that he hasn't faced before, the quality of hitters that he hasn't faced before. Yeah, I think pumping the brakes is probably a good term for it. I mean, it's two outings, and, and I think he did. I mean, I saw some of his start against the Cubs. I mean, he did look pretty impressive. Um, on the other hand, you know, Jorge Lopez looks impressive in, you know, three-inning stints at times. Glenn Sparkman threw a complete game shutout. Uh, you know, these are small sample sizes. And, uh, you know, Sean, it, it seems like the way the Royals have talked about Singer, uh, you know, having him they, you know, talking basically like he's in the mix for the rotation. And we know they don't, they don't really factor in service time like other teams do when it comes to – uh, roster decisions. If they feel like a guy is ready, they're going to bring him up. Um, so it almost feels like if Singer pitches reasonably well, he could make this team. Is that kind of the way you're looking at it, or do you think this is just uh, they just want to kind of get a long look at him? No, I think they're just trying to get a look at him. I mean, they haven't uh, – I, I feel like historically they haven't cared about uh, the Super 2 deadline mm-hmm. because that's just money, right? Essentially just paying a guy more money. Um, but I think that they have cared about the um, the extra year cutoff, the service time cutoff. So I would be very surprised if he doesn't, you know, maybe he's there for most of spring and then that big cut day where they send a bunch of guys down, he's one of the cuts um, because he still needs to be out of the 40-man, right? So yep. And there's been a couple different guys, and I know you had mentioned Scott Barlow, or wait, Scott Barlow? No, Scott Blewett. Blewett yeah. Um, or Scoglin. I don't know. You mentioned somebody just had there's, there's a couple of guys in the 40-man that are in danger of getting yeah. DFA'd or pretty quickly. Yeah. So there could be room for him, definitely. Um, but I think that's a barrier. I think not only is the service time issue a barrier, but also that he has to be added to the 40-man. And typically early on in the year, you you kind of have that spaghetti against the walls where you have a bunch of guys in your 40-man just to, you know on opening day. And then you just kind of give guys playing time to see if they've got anything, then they're cut eventually. So um, I don't see him being up or breaking the camp out of the rotation, but him being up by May wouldn't surprise me. I will say that the, the counterpoint to your argument that they don't care about that extra year of time is uh, Adalberto Mondesi. Uh, when he was a 2017, oh, yeah. when he yeah, yeah. Um, um, first came up, like there was all this evidence that like he wasn't ready. But he had a pretty good spring, although I thought that was kind of fool's gold at the time, you know, that he was doing against AAA pitchers for, for the most part. Um, but, you know, they, they could have kept him down in the minors for a couple of weeks and delayed his service time a year. Instead, they made him the opening day, uh, put him on the opening day roster. And, of course, he kind of seemed overwhelmed at first and they ended up sending him down. And the service time issue ended up not being an issue because he got demoted. But that is an example, I think, of, when they felt like a guy, um, it, when he was ready, he was ready. Now they may feel differently about pitchers. I mean, the, the pitching is a little different thing, and 
they may feel like they want to uh, keep them for that extra year, especially if they have, or they may have changed their kind of outlook, you know, the, the way the game has changed or the way they kind of view their window may, may seem differently now. Uh, you know, Sean, what do you, I don't know if you got a chance to see too much of Singer so far this spring, but what's kind of your impression of him? I know the big knock on him and Keith Law mentioned it. And we'll talk about Keith Law's prospect list in here in a minute. But he kind of has knocked Singer for his changeup. Says it's not even close to average. Uh, so far, I've been kind of impressed with his movement on his pitches. I don't. Know, I haven't seen too much of the changeup yet. What have you kind of seen from Singer so far? Yeah, um, I was going to say the changeup has always been an issue. Um, I think that his. I feel like when I watched his starts last year, which God, I can't even believe it was a year ago. Uh, you know, technically or a season ago, we can say. Um, it felt like his curveball was way more kind of twelve to six ish, and that and so that's always been my issue. Oh, excuse me. I'll say it in a sense of it's always been my complaint where people have called it a slider, but it's it's got a lot more vertical movement than a slider. And then if you watch his start um, today or his appearance today, um, you could see like a lot of that right to left movement on it. Um, so that's looked actually pretty good my issue was that it was just like a kind of a flattish curveball um but today you know if you want to call it a slurve i guess you could call it um it had some good movement so yeah i mean he's he's looked fine there we'll see um you know his his stats progressively got better and he hasn't been beaten up or anything so far obviously but um each level he got knocked around early then then, then kind of came around a little bit more so we'll let's continue to see but you know other than not having that third pitch um I think his stuff does look fine, mostly. I don't think command's been an issue. That was a big thing. I always thought he left his fastball up a lot, but I don't know. He's, yeah, he's been mostly fine for those two pitches he's thrown. I mean, you know, for the two pitches he has that right. he has thrown. No, I did notice that in his outing against the Cubs a little bit. Like, he was leaving the ball a little bit up, wasn't getting hurt by it. I mean, there he's actually getting some good some good uh, ground ball action out of it. I think cause, because of that movement a little bit. Uh, and so, you know, we'll have to see it. Like, you know, like we said, it's just three innings pitched. Uh, in Arizona, but uh, certainly I think it makes for an interesting storyline in spring training and something to watch out for. Uh, we referenced Keith Law's uh, top Royals prospect list uh, just a minute ago. He came out with his top uh, top 20, I guess, and he listed a few more names. Uh, and he also came out with his top 100 prospect list overall. Uh, Singer, not as high as you would think, didn't make the top 100 list. He was ranked number six in the organization, which is kind of surprising. Uh, number one in the organization, though, was Daniel Lynch, who... Uh, Keith has definitely gotten to see a lot in Wilmington, and he liked him so much that he ranked Lynch number 13 uh, overall in baseball, uh, saying that uh, uh, if it wasn't for Padres prospect Mackenzie Gore, Lynch might have the best pure stuff of any lefty prospect in the minors. Uh, he ranked uh, Lynch number one in the organization, followed by Bobby infielder Bobby Witt Jr., pitcher Jackson Coar, outfielder Khalil Lee at number four, lefty Chris Bubich at number five, Singer at number six, outfielder Kyle Isbell, uh, shortstop Brady McConnell, outfielder Brewer Hicklin, and then outfielder Suli Matias to round out the top ten. Uh, Sean, was what's kind of stood out to you, either from Keith's ranking of the top 100 or from the Royals' prospect list? Um, I mean, I so first just to mention Singer, or excuse me, for Lynch, I've had Lynch as the number one on my list. I think for three of the three of the past four lists, I think he was. One behind Love, I think he was second behind Love Lady, like when he first got drafted. But I think he's been number one for me uh, the other times. 
Um, I love Lynch. I, I'm happy to see that he's getting some love. I, I, for some reason, it feels like he's – we talk a lot about um, prospects being – their ranking being a function of where they were picked, not necessarily maybe their talent or their performance. And I think Lynch is a victim of that when you look around at other Royals prospect lists and you see Singer – uh, ahead of Lynch, sometimes by, you know, three, four, five spots um, when, you know, as Keith has on his list that he's got Lynch number one, um, you know, kind of completely forgetting about or not forgetting, but completely ignoring in the sense that, you know, if you you, you see Lynch, you think, oh, man, he was drafted behind all these other guys. Why, you know, if he was so good, wouldn't he have been earlier pick? And I think that Lynch is the best pitching prospect in the organization, and that's how I've had him the past three times. Um the Singer being at six definitely stands out a little bit too, um, especially since Singer's been to Double A and Bubik has only obviously been to High A. Um, that was kind of interesting, but I think the list is is pretty fine for the most part. Brady McConnell at eight is a little interesting as well because he's barely even played. Um, I think Keith liked him if I remember kind of his pre-draft chat and training or uh, rankings, um, but I thought that was a little little different. Um, and then yeah, I mean. He also, uh, and you didn't mention, but he has Alec Marsh at 11th um, ahead of guys like Melendez and Prado. I think that's mostly fine. I know, I'm not sure if it's you or might be Alex Duvall, um, like Zach Hake a lot as well, and he's on that list. Um, so I think I think it's mostly fine overall. Um, I, I, no major issues. And yeah, I mean, I some surprises, but no, I think, I think it makes sense um, knowing kind of Keith's philosophy. And he's never been one to... He has never been one, and God bless him, and this is one of the reasons why he's one of my favorite um, prospect guys is because he's never been shy to kind of stick to his guns and say, this is what I think, suck it, basically. You know, <laughs> and, and that's that's kind of how he is and you know how he's with lists, and it, it's great. Yeah, you look at some prospect lists, I think sometimes they try to adhere to what the consensus is a little too much. It's like, well, if you're just saying what the other people are saying, like, you know, maybe that's true, but I'm not, you know, what's the, what's the value in, in seeing your prospect list? And you think you're right. Keith kind of goes off on his own, and it, sometimes it conforms with what other people think, and sometimes it doesn't. I think certainly having Daniel Lynch that high, that's certainly you know some lists don't even have Lynch in their top 100. I think some of that's a product of him kind of missing some time last year, uh, and like you said, pro- also some, probably a little product of him not being a, a first round pick, or at least not in the first 30 picks, you know, uh, whereas Brady Singer was. So uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's I think it's an interesting perspective. I like Lynch ahead of Singer. I don't. Think I'm as down on Singer as he is, but I definitely. I mean, you think you see a left-hander throw upper 90s with pretty good command and pretty good secondary stuff, and it's hard not to get like really excited about that. So, I yeah, I'm I'm high on the Daniel Lynch train too. Uh, Matthew, what was something that maybe stood out to you from from the Keith's list? You know, something. One thing that I agree with with Keith on is uh, the ranking of Bobby Witt. You know, I've seen a lot of prospect lists. You know, like you were saying, they all tend to have him around. 20-ish, you know, give or take five or 10 spots, you know, 20 to 30. Um, but I, I started writing a piece and I didn't end up publishing it. Um, but basically, which is, um, if you know me, that's basically what I do is I write uh, about one unpublished piece a week. Um, that's half finished. Um, and it basically was a look at Bobby Witt's performance. You know, um, Bobby Witt um, did not really do that well in um, in the minor leagues, which is kind of a an understatement. And I looked at it, and he was like one of the worst performing like first round picks 
um, or like top three or five. I forget what I was looking at, but like the top among the top five picks in his draft. Um, he was one of the worst performing ones. And I think that, you know, people are just saying, oh, it's okay, you know, but if you're really that good, you should, you know, theoretically be performing against people who are around your age. So I, I think that placing him a little bit lower um, is right. Um, I do, however, you know, disagree with Brady Singer's ranking a little bit. Um, and, you know, I, I, I understand ranking guys based on where their pitchers are, um, uh, where their pitches are. You know, uh, Law says um, Brady Singer's aggressive and throws strikes, but I don't know how he can start without a way to get lefties out more consistently. He's talking about his change up there. You know, I, I get that, and I think that's that's a perfectly fine way to do it. But I think at some point you have to defer a little bit to the performance of the pitchers, right? I mean, you can think about the pitches in terms of how good they are individually, but ultimately it's, ultimately it's not the pitches that pitch, it's the pitcher that pitches. And if he's getting consistent and good results, at some point you have to defer that. And Brady Singer has, has been pretty good, and um, somebody tweeted it out today. Uh, pointing out that uh, Brady Singer is like his last nine starts, which is about fifty some fifty something innings. He has an ERA under two, and this is in Double A, uh, an ERA under two, and like a strikeout to walk ratio of like four and a half. Like he was mowing people down. So I kind of don't, I kind of don't get it. I mean, I kind of do, and I kind of don't. I guess I, I just he, uh, that a little bit. He did get, and I think to Keith's point though that Singer did get smoked by left-handers this year. He gave up a. 352 OBP to them. Um, so I, I see where he's coming from. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm one to talk about uh, guys performance, you know, yielding more than tools. Cause I've had guys who just kind of had really great performance and questionable tools kind of on my list. So I hear it, but I, I do kind of see what he is getting at in that sense that, yeah, I mean, he did get beat up by uh, left-handers a little bit, but anyways, couple interesting notes from, from Keith there. Jackson Coar, who I'm pretty high on him as well, but kind of gets, I think sometimes gets overlooked, uh, has him as a, as a back-end starter as is, but he sees number two potential if he develops an, even an average breaking ball. Uh, Sean, what's, what's kind of your impression on Coar and his breaking stuff? Yeah, Coar's fun to watch, man. Um, what do we talk? I'm, I'm trying to remember a conversation I had with someone where it was like, if you could, com- if you could have combined Coar and and um, if you could combine Coar and Singer, you'd have just a tremendous pitcher. The thing Coar needs is a curveball or some sort of other secondary pitch, and the thing that Singer needs is a changeup. Um, and so, and you know, Coar's got a seventy changeup. Singer's probably got a seventy-ish slurve or whatever you want to call it. Um, I love watching Coar pitch; it's fun. I think he's probably. I put the odds of relief at like thirty-ish percent. Um, just because he might not ever find command, um, but I mean, yeah, he's he's fun to watch. He's one of those guys that you know you'll get excited, and I would be absolutely unsurprised if he was in the rotation and had a, had a four week stretch or something where you know he gave up only a couple runs, struck out a ridiculous amount, and just had a had a nice little peak um, there, or had one of those Danny Duffy you know twelve strikeout games, zero walks, and goes into the eight and a half inning until Ned Yost pulls him because um, he gives up a base runner. So hey, something Ned's like that. Hey, not here anymore. You can't put I, down I, Ned anymore. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I like – Coar is definitely fun to watch. We'll see what he ends up being. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I like him, and it's been fun to actually – that's a nice thing, too. It's been fun to see these guys not on a grainy MILB TV cam. Yeah. Um, it's nice to see them and have, you know, um, 
stat cast data on them and everything. I also like that Keith had uh, Bubich number five, which is, I think, a little higher than other people have him in the organization. And I think that kind of puts to your point about uh, him kind of putting an emphasis on results, like not necessarily putting a guy like Bobby Witt, you know, super high because he hasn't uh, done much yet. But Bubich did have a very good minor league season last year. And he, uh, Keith writes that he projects as a fourth starter right now with an average fastball, with a plus changeup and great deception, but just a fringy curveball, which, look, if he's a fourth starter... And he's kind of like the underrated guy that, you know, isn't getting a whole lot of pub right now. I mean, I think I'd take that right now as a, as a result for him. And I, and I think, you know, he's got a really interesting delivery. And um, I, I do like, I've got a bias towards like deceptive deliveries, the deliveries that, um, that are kind of hard to pick up. So I'm, I'm kind of rooting for him. I thought that was an interesting ranking. Um, Suley Matthias at number 10, Sean, is that, is that a little surprising? Uh, seeing a, a toolsy guy that struggled as much as he did last year still in the top 10 or is that maybe just a product of what he thinks of the depth in our farm system right now i've actually had a conversation with keith about uh matthias and i think he and i are on the same page where it's like you have to you have to acknowledge the tools um but you also have to acknowledge the performance and there are guys who are just so tooled up um that they're always going to be kind of hanging around lists just because they could at any moment, and we saw how long like Bubba, and not the Bubba Starling and Matias are the same, but we saw how long kind of Bubba hung around on this just because he was so tooled up. And I suspect if Bobby Witt, um, you know, two years from now, three years from now, never hit higher than, you know, 240 batting average and like a 340 or 330 OBP and double, you know, doesn't perform well, he'll still be around. So I think that's one of those things where there are very few guys in the minor leagues who have, you know, 80 power. And not only 80 game, or excuse me, not only 80 raw, but 80 game power. There are just so few of those guys that he's always going to kind of kick around, especially since he's only uh, 20. I forget how you, his age now. Um, you know, if he was 24, then yeah, he's off completely. But uh, I, I think I think it's okay to have some optimism in the sense that you know this is his first time in high A. Pretty much every hitter stunk in high A this year. The tools are all still there. Um, but when you strike out 44% of the time, that's that's just unusable in, in every sense of the word. So, um, But not surprising. Definitely definitely not surprising to have him above Prado and Melendez, the other kind of terrible trio, as Keith called them uh, in this piece. I, that makes sense as well. I wanted to compare it a little bit to the Baseball America top uh Royals uh, prospect list. They ranked their top 30 prospects in the organization a couple weeks ago as well. Their, I think, list is a little more conventional. Bobby Witt, number one. Lynch is number two. Coar three. Brandy Singer, number four. Kyle Isbell coming in at number five. A little surprising. Eric Pena, the the uh, 16-year-old who they signed, uh, their top signing in the international free agent market a year ago. He comes in at number six for them. Khalili at seven. Bubich at eight. Austin Cox, the left-handed pitcher, at number nine. And Nick Prado, the 2017 first-round pick comes in at uh, number 10. Uh, I guess the biggest disparities, first of all, the one that really stands out to me, Matthew, is, is Eric Pena uh, at number 6 for Baseball America and number 16 for Keith Law. Um, I, I don't know, like 16-year-olds, I don't know where you put them in rankings. I know he's supposed to be like loaded with talent, uh, and people are saying like Carlos Beltran uh, comps out there, but, I mean, he's like barely old enough to drive <laughs> like i don't know what you do with that uh i don't i know i don't know if you've had too much of a 
chance to have uh, any kind of opinion on him at all. But is there what do you make of anything of Eric Pena on prospect lists? Yeah, I mean it's it it's really tricky. Like you said, I mean what what do you do with him? He's he's 16. I think next year we'll have a much better understanding because we'll see some performance uh, and some numbers out of him. Um, you know, even if it is just the rookie leagues or instructional leagues or whatever. Um, what what I think is sort of happening with stuff like this a little bit um, is these prospect lists are trying to jockey a little bit and say, hey, look, I had him, you know, correct, right? So if he's really good next year, basically American can sort of point to it and say, hey, we were high on him, we were right. Um, you know, I, I don't know really how much that happens, but I do think that the people who put together these prospect lists want to be seen as well-respected, and I think that he's an easy guy you can take a swing, you know, swing to keep in the baseball metaphor, you know, swing at, and if it's a swing and a miss next year, nobody will really care. But if he's really good and you put him at six ahead of guys with much more uh, stats and uh, more scouting and stuff, then, then you look pretty good, but uh, you're right. It's, it's hard and I don't fault anybody for putting him anywhere. And I sort of think as it, as an imaginary ranking until he does anything anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of these lists are, and I'm going to make a finance uh, reference here. A lot of them are like analyst analyst ratings on stocks where it's like, you don't want to be the analyst who is so far out away from everybody because everybody just thinks that you're, you're nuts. So you don't know what you're talking about. You kind of want to, you don't want to be the person who's like, oh, this stock is terrible and everybody loves it because because of just that. You don't want to be looking crazy. And I think a lot of that happens as well in prospect lists where everybody kind of in a consensus in the background says, okay, uh, Bobby Wood Jr. is a top 50 guy because he was taken second overall. You know, even, even, if they might, even if they might believe he's more of a 70-ish guy or maybe a back – and I'm just making this up. They will move him up for it because of – because of just that, everybody kind of sees it this way. Keith usually does a good job of going out of that, but yeah, same thing with Eric Long and hanging at Fangraphs also is like that. But I do think a, a lot of there's a lot of hive think uh, going on. Well, this week came some uh, bad news for Royals fans that are cord cutters. YouTube TV announced they could not come to agreement on a deal with Sinclair Broadcast Group, the new owners of several Fox regional sports television networks, including Fox Sports Kansas City. And so the Royals will not be carried on the streaming service this season. Fox Sports Kansas City was dropped last summer by Dish Network, which also owns Sling TV, as well as Fubo, leaving Hulu and AT&T TV now as the only current streaming options. Now, this won't affect cable and, and other satellite subscribers who will still be able to get their Royals baseball on Fox Sports Kansas City. But, Sean, certainly is a setback for many fans. I want to know, first of all, how do you consume your Royals baseball? Well, as of... Uh Today, uh, I don't, apparently, because <laughs> I had YouTube TV, and I, I, I remember I think I asked you, I've asked a ton of people, like, hey, we're going to cut the cord, what's the best thing? And I think hands down, everybody said YouTube TV, and I've loved it um, since we've had it for, I don't know, four months or whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, it, this this decision has not been great, but I will say that um, I also do just watch it online via completely legal, obviously I would never do anything wrong ways. I do watch it online via particular sub, particular reddits have uh, things that point me to completely legal ways to watch it. So that's how I consume it typically, just because it's easier. Are these completely legal? Oh, of course, <laughs> of course. Matthew, uh, yeah, uh, Matthew, I know I think you also, I think our YouTube 
TV subscriber, at least were, as am I. And so we're all kind of scrambling uh, to find a new home for Royals baseball. But I guess as a consumer, just like how frustrating is this for to not? I mean, and, and is this does this make you want to subscribe back to cable? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really it's a really big deal, and it's a really terrible, terrible look for pretty much everyone involved. Um, but we'll start with YouTube TV and and Google. Uh, right, so Google basically had used to have like Google Fiber TV, um, but uh, they have been pushing people away from Google Fiber TV, and in fact, they've they've stopped doing it in a lot of market markets. I don't know if it's in Kansas City. I I think it it's it's true. Like they they started you know um, slowing down the service and and um, putting the brakes on and disconnecting it um, or not offering it anymore. I'm not sure. I don't I don't have it. I just have standard Google Fiber. Um, but like, if you go to like Google Fiber, like it points you to Google uh, to YouTube TV here. So basically, in lieu of this option that had these regional sports network, um, like Fox Sports Kansas City, but also any other regional sports network, right? So if you live in you know uh, Ohio, Fox Sports Ohio or whatever, that's not on YouTube TV either. It's not just Fox Sports Kansas City. Um, so if they've been pushing them to YouTube TV away from Google Fiber. Uh, TV and then YouTube TV just doesn't offer it anymore. And also, a PlayStation View uh, shut down. PlayStation View used to have it um, totally independent from everything else. The service just shut down. Um, and then Sling TV doesn't carry the regional sports networks either. So it it's really fascinating. So the Kansas City Royals are going to sign this. Um, you know, if they haven't already, they've signed their new television contract for like $50 million a year. And who's going to be watching it? You know, fewer people are watching cable now than ever have before. And all of these services, they can't, you know, um, do a deal. Um, you know, the the problem, as YouTube TV says, was they, they couldn't, you know, sign a deal with Sinclair, who's the owner of uh, the, the regional networks like Fox Sports, Kansas City. So it's it's just it's a bad look for everyone. It's a bad look for Google. It's a bad look for Sinclair. It's a bad look for the Royals. And I honestly don't know what I'm gonna do. I really don't. There is a Hulu Live TV, which is about the same as YouTube TV, which is fifty five dollars a month. But part of the reason why I and other people liked YouTube TV was it was just a really great um, product, not just from what it offered, but the UI was great and the recording was great and it was all just really nice and seamless and easy to use with devices. You know, you could use it for um, on your desktop, you could use it on your tablet, you could use it like I do on my Xbox One, uh, and it just forces everyone to move away. It's it's just a giant mess and I hate it. Yeah, and you, and, and you almost feel like as soon as we all hop onto Hulu, like they're next. Like, uh, you know, I don't know what the the rights yeah. you know stand right now as far as a contractual obligations with with Sinclair but uh, it seems like just a matter of time you know and Sinclair they, they bought the the Fox Sports ne- television networks last year this is part of like the big uh, Disney had to spin these off as part of their merger agreement and so they went for sale and Sinclair bought these these 21 stations uh, including Fox Sports Kansas City and Sinclair kinda, is kind of known for being a tough negotiator and I think we've kind of seen that I mean with the Royals they've kind of you know, this is supposed to be a done deal back in August, and it's kind of stretched out. Apparently, they have a handshake agreement. We don't know if they have a done deal yet with the club on a new TV deal. And it's supposedly, it's you know, according to Jeffrey Flanagan at MLB.com, 
the deal is kind of half as long as it was early earlier anticipated. So they're pretty uh, you know tough negotiators. They're using this leverage that they have these 21 stations, and this this covers like you said other other baseball teams and other markets as well. This is uh, I think 15 teams right now have Fox Sports Television networks. This also affects the the Yes uh, Yankees uh, network. And the Cubs were trying to start a network this year, the Marquee Sports Network. They're going to be affected as well, and they won't be carried on YouTube TV. So that's more than half the league, including two of your, you know, your your marquee franchises. That's going to very be very crippling to Yahoo YouTube TV. And you know, I've heard a lot of people ask, like, why does this happen? Why why doesn't baseball? Why is baseball allowing their product not to be seen by by eyeballs? And the the you know, it's it's a money thing. It's like you know they they get sick you know money from Sinclair like the Royals supposedly are going to get 50 to 60 million dollars from Sinclair for the exclusive rights to broadcast these games and if MLB TV suddenly says okay well we're going to lift our blackout restrictions or we're going to make these games available to people you know regardless of what Sinclair does with their negotiations with YouTube suddenly that's that product is not worth sixty million dollars to Sinclair. All of a sudden, I mean, they they that that value is baked into their 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 contractual obligations or their asking price with the Royals, and so that's that's part of why the Royals package is so valuable. So Sinclair can go to UTV TV and say, "Look, we've got these fifteen stations that have games of fifteen baseball teams. You know, pay us the carriage the the, the carriage fees that we want, or else." You know, you're not getting these. You're not getting Cubs baseball or Royals baseball or Yankees baseball, and YouTube has to say, "Well, we're not going to pay that." And then everyone's mad at YouTube TV. Um, and so some people say, like, why? Why does an MLB just kind of cut out the middleman and say, well, "We've got MLB TV, just show Royals games through there." And it's like because they're not going to get sixty million dollars doing that. I mean, there's you know, I think we forget like how small. Uh, of a fan base baseball kids sometimes. I mean, there's a lot of Royals fans, but I was looking at the numbers today, you know, in 2015, when they're at the most popular they ever were, their games were averaging about 120,000 fans or households a game, which is great. That's one of the best uh, market shares in baseball, but I mean, it's still a small market in Kansas city. And so that's, that's not a whole lot of, you know, how are you going to make up $60 million to get $60 million? You'd have to charge each, each of those people like $500, to get Royals baseball, which like I love Royals baseball, but I'm not paying $500 for it. Um, and and why you know the reason why Sinclair is willing to pay that kind of money is because you know they can go to these media companies like YouTube TV and all these cable companies and ask for these fees. With the way that streaming is becoming more and more of a, a way fans consume, I mean obviously all three of us stream. We don't have cable. Is this kind of short-sighted for baseball to allow kind of the cable companies? To kind of dictate how the terms of how their game is being viewed. Yeah, it sucks. Um, I mean, <laughs> you think, I mean, really think about all the people who base. I, I swear we read an article every month saying how baseball is dying. We can't do anything online. You can't, you can't post a two second video of a fan falling down the stairs or something like that without being sued for your house from the MLB. And we can't get any promotion for players. Now we can't watch the games. I mean, it's like, it's just completely frustrating. And we talk about often how, like, the NBA just does it right, right? I mean, they allow fans to all access to everything, totally fan-friendly in every sense of the word. And yet, 
the MLB, which is more popular, I think, than, than the NBA. But I, I could see the argument against either side. But I think the M- MLB is widely popular um, more than the NBA. But it's like, man, how many times can the MLB shoot themselves in the foot? Plus the Astro cheating scandal. I mean, I, I think baseball will always be around. But seriously, I would not be surprised if in 30 years from now we don't have MLB anymore because they've just screwed themselves over with so much and popularity in other sports has taken off. And um, I, I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. And someone mentioned that it's also maybe not a coincidence that Hulu is basically the only streaming provider with Fox Sports. And, hey, guess what? They, for a very short time, Disney, who owns Hulu, um, excuse me, Disney owns part of Hulu. And for a very short time, Disney owned uh, the Fox Regional Networks before having to spit them off. So um, I, I don't know. It's it's just a it's just not good for anybody. It's definitely not good for the fans, which is the most important. Uh, but it's not good for Sinclair because they bought up all these assets. Now they can't um, they can't pitch them anywhere because you know they're asking too much, and it's their own fault for that. But you know it's bad for the teams. It's just bad for everybody. There's there's no win here, and it's all just solely because they're greedy. I mean, I, if you guys know me, you know that I'm I'm fairly a, a fairly strong capitalist, but they're just this is too much. Well, somebody think of the fans. That's all I have to say. <laughs> he, uh, Hulu is the only one that that has currently those regional networks um, on on the pro- on their program. On I, I don't even know what it is. It's like live Hulu. It's not even their like main Hulu thing. But whatever. Hulu is the only one that has them, and so right now they've got a monopoly on it, um, which is not good. And these people who have cut cable aren't going to go back to cable you know i'm really happy with google fiber i'm not going to go back to spectrum which has a third of the speed of google fiber um even if i thought spectrum was you know a pretty decent uh you know provider as far as internet providers go at least in the kansas city area but google fiber is just so much better and you know other people cut cable costs for you know price reasons uh, even if they don't have google fiber so it's it's just like i said it's just a mess and I hate it all. And I do wonder, though, because it's not just the Royals fans who are unhappy about this, but everybody, I do wonder if, huh, YouTube TV and uh, Sinclair agree on something before the start of the season. Because I can't imagine that it's 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 just going to be a giant mess for both companies. Um, and fans throughout the United States are pissed at them. So... I think there is a small chance that, you know, suddenly they find it within their hearts and within their wallets to come to an agreement, but not a big chance. Yeah. Still well, and I, Go ahead. And I think it, and another thing is that, like, um, you saw, you see, like, Fubo TV or something or Sling, who are these kind of smaller companies, like, what are they going to do not carry this large regional network, which they aren't, but it's like, it's basically this gigantic power media powerhouse but like sinclair versus google like google has you know google makes a a billion dollars a day essentially like they're not gonna back down um they don't have like the pressure of like subscribers and everything youtube tv is such a small part of their business they're just they have no incentive to be like okay sure we'll crack and we'll pay way more than we expected i mean i think there could be really be a showdown for this now of course, tomorrow they're going to come to agreement when this po- the, the second <laughs> podcast gets posted, they'll come to agreement. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it could be bloody a, a little bit at least. Yeah, on the one hand, like sports is like really important to TV right now, just because it's live. It's one of the few things people watch live all the time, and so it's easier to put ads in there. But 
But yeah, on the other hand, like sports is probably a small part of the TV universe for a lot of people. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't care that Fox Sports Kansas City is not going to be on the channel, on the uh, listings for YouTube TV, which, is a, again, is a streaming service that a lot of people don't use. A lot, I mean, a lot, still, a lot of people use cable right now. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah like, like you said, a lot of times this is just a kind of negotiating ploy to, to get a deal. And, like, on the eve of opening day, a deal gets struck. We can only hope. Uh, let's take a quick break. and we come back, we'll give our opening day roster predictions. In about four weeks, the Royals will begin the season in Chicago against the White Sox, and they'll have 26 strapping young men to uh, dress in royal blue and, and embark on another run at a championship. Uh, this year, the Royals, despite coming off 103 losses, they don't have as many roster decisions as you might think. I think, uh, you know, this year we know that there's going to be expanded rosters with 26 players on the roster. There's also the roster limitation that you can only carry up to 13 pitchers. So let's take, a, I think with that in mind, I want to take a quick look at uh, kind of some of the positional battles for spring training and see what our, you know, what we thought, uh, who we thought might make the opening day roster. So let's, let's kind of turn to the position players because I think that's going to be a little bit easier. I think most of those positions are locked down. I think basically there's eight locks barring injury when it comes to the position players. We've got Salvi, who's going to be behind the plate. Hopefully it's, you know, we haven't seen him yet behind the plate in spring training, but supposedly he's going to make his... Uh, debut in the spring, probably by the time you hear this podcast. Uh, first base will skip right now because I don't think that's quite set. Uh, Nicky Lopez is almost certainly going to start at second base. Adalberto Montesi at shortstop. Michael Franco at, at third base. Your outfield will be Alex Gordon in left. Whit Merrifield in center. Hunter Dozier moving over to right field this year with Jorge Soler as your DH. That's eight eight locks right there. Uh, that And with 13 position players, that means there's five other spots on the roster for hitters. Let's start with the backup catcher. I think it's probably the easiest um, among in the running. You have last year's incumbent Cam Gallagher. You have young up-and-comer Mabers Valoria. And then you have, I guess, the wild card Nick Dini, who's not on the 40-man roster. Sean, who's your backup catcher going into the season? Um, it's got to be Cam, right? I mean, they really, really like him. He's been in the org forever. Um I guess he's got what one option. I guess he's got an option left. Yeah, I I went with Cam. I think that makes the most sense. Um, and, and I feel like we're going to be. I feel like we're going to see a lot of uh, Perez at first base, Cam catching days where he's going to Cam will somehow end up getting like three hundred at bats. You know what I mean? Way more than your typical backup catcher might might get just because of him being able to split time and Perez's injury history and. Um, the fact that Price could all likely get hurt again. Um, anyway, so I go with Cam. Salvi's going to start 162 games. A catcher, you want, you wait and see. Matthew, uh, who <laughs> no, do you have? No, no, I totally believe it. Yes, he will do 162 <laughs> games because that's the, that's exactly what he's been doing for his entire life, catching way more than he ever should be. Uh, Matthew, who do you have as a backup catcher? Yeah, Cam Gallagher, same thing. Um, Valoria has one more option. And Gallagher, I thought that Gallagher was out of options. Um, Sean, are you looking at something that says how many options he has? I, I have him as one yeah. more option, as unrostered. One more option, yeah. yeah. Okay. Roster yeah. Roster. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, he's got one less option, so it just makes sense to stick him around. And Valoria, who with the bat wasn't very good um, over the last two years um, when he's had time in the big leagues, which makes sense. Um, that was my cat. <laughs> um, 
I, yeah, it'll be Gallagher. Yeah, I feel like Gallagher hasn't done any, really anything to lose the job, and I think he's the guy that you don't mind having sit on the bench six days a week. Whereas I think Valoria, you probably want to see him get a little more, a few more reps in the minors and play on a regular basis because I think there's maybe a thought that he could take over for Salvi if Salvi were to not catch anymore. And let's remember, Salvi's got only one more year after this one under contract. If you know, I I, I expect him to stay in Kansas City beyond that. But if he were to somehow leave, then you know, and maybe MJ Melendez is not ready. Uh, or d- never develops, then I think Vol- they they would feel comfortable letting Valoria start at that point. So I think he could be kind of groomed as a future catcher, or at least a, ve- a be- future backup. So I expect him to kind of start in the minors and Gallagher to be on the opening day roster. That leaves four bench spots. Uh, first, uh, one or two of them could go to first base, where you have Ryan O'Hearn and Ryan McBroom kind of vying for playing time. Uh, Sean, do you see one or both of those players making the opening day roster? Uh, yeah, that was a tough one. Um, I think I, yes, I see O'Hearn making the roster. I don't know about McBroom. That's my only, that's my only hold up is because they're going to carry, gosh dang it. They're going to carry Phillips and like Starling as backup outfielders or in the outfield conversation between he, Merrifield, uh, Phillips, uh, Solaire a little bit, then Dozier will play some Gordon. So I think that, I think that O'Hearn's a lock and I think the 25th spot, or excuse me, the 26th spot, um, goes down to McBroom and someone else, but I, I'll say no, I'll say McBroom does not make it. So you have the, the remaining four spots, you have O'Hearn, Phillips, Starling, and then who? I don't know who that is. I do not have anybody at that spot. Um, McBroom could be in play. Uh, Matt Reynolds is the other guy. I was thinking, who's the guy that they just got? Um, Matt Reynolds could be it. I doubt it, but I think I think if it I think if McBroom makes it, he's kind of the the NCAA tournament, the last guy in since. Well, yeah, Reynolds is kind of interesting because like if they don't if they they don't really have a backup middle infielder, and I guess you could say, well, Merrifield is kind of your backup middle infielder, and Lopez could always slide over and play shortstop if needed, but. That leaves you a little bit thin. I like that's like an injury or two away from you know Alex Gordon playing shortstop or something. So yeah, uh, which you know you could bring some of them up really quickly, but uh, I don't know, Matthew. Who do, how do you have the kind of last four spots shaken out? Yeah. So my bench. So I have O'Hearn in uh, at first base. So my bench currently is Gallagher, Starling, Phillips, um, and then I have Ryan McBroom as that fourth spot. But I think an interesting point, and I just sort of recently thought of this, is in a Ned Yost lineup, we know that Ned Yost is perfectly fine with not really having a backup shortstop. I mean, there are large stretches of time where Alcides Escobar was the only shortstop on the team, and nobody else was even, you know, had a secondary position at shortstop. Um, and even, you know, Mondesi, like they, they went, you know, when everybody was healthy, they didn't really have a backup shortstop so so much, you know. They, they just relied on Mondesi every, every game. But that was Ned Yost. And I wonder what Mike Matheny is going to do. So I'm less sure now. If Yost was still the manager, then yes, I, I would be very certain that Ryan McBroom would be that, four, that 26th man. But I don't know if Mike Matheny thinks the same way in terms of writing his shortstop so much. Um, so that, that'll that be interesting, and I think this is one of the first things where we'll see sort of the mark of Matheny, and if he wants that 
backup shortstop, backup second baseman, then somebody else is going to be there. But if he if he doesn't, and he's fine with having Nicky Lopez, who's a perfectly fine shortstop, he's actually you know pretty decent shortstop as the backup shortstop, then you know it'll be fine. Um, and also, I think that there are going to be situations in which um, you know Wit plays second base, um, thereby. Uh, putting Lopez on the bench and available as that backup shortstop should Montezzi go out. So I, I, I think that there's a pretty good chance McBroom makes it, but also, you know, who knows? Yeah, I think the... the um, okay. I wanted to add on mine, Kelvin Gutierrez. That's who I was thinking of as well. I think he could be the guy that plays third base, maybe some second base and some first base instead of Ryan McBroom. That's my... I wanted to... Uh, follow up. That's what I. That's my other guy. That's in consideration for twenty six man. Sorry. Yeah, I think he's kind of a wild card, but I. I think he's the kind of guy that they're going to want to see play every day, especially since he missed kind of the end of the year with a uh, foot injury, and they brought in Franco, who I, who I imagine will play every day. So I, I've got, I've got O'Hearn and McBroom both making the team. I can see a scenario where O'Hearn gets shipped shipped down to Omaha like at the end of April if he struggles, and they hand the job to McBroom at that point. But I think. I think they can carry both right now, and I think they will want to get a look at both of them. You know, it probably won't be a straight platoon situation, but I think I think you'll see McBroom in the outfit a little bit too. Um, but I think you'll probably see a good share of both uh, to start the season. And then Phillips and Starling in the outfield. I, I don't think there's going to be a backup middle infielder, um, kind of for the reasons you talked about, Matthew. Uh, you know, Lopez can shift over to shortstop pretty easily, and Merrifield can play second. And Witt's already kind of talked about how he's going to play a little infield and outfield. It sounds like that's what he's preparing for. So it kind of sounds like that's what their their plan might be. Um, but, you know, Montessi has had a lot of injuries in, in the past. Um, that would leave them pretty thin, like I said. So it wouldn't totally surprise me to see, like, either Matt Reynolds or Umberto Arteaga make the team. Eric Mejia, possibly. Uh, all three of those guys would have to be added to the 40-man roster, though, which is kind of working against them. But... Um, so I, I don't know. I think it's I think they'll probably go without a middle, middle infielder to start. And if they if they see this thing where like where like they need to rest Montessi here and there and they don't feel comfortable not having another backup, then then maybe you see a guy like that come up and then they're able to maybe get a guy through waivers, a designated guy off the 40 man roster in, in the second week of the season or something like that. Um, the other thing is, like, should Bubba Starling really have a guaranteed spot? I know he's out of options. Uh, and I know he was okayish in AAA last year, but like he didn't look that good in 15, 56 games or whatever it was at the end of last year. And I know he has great defense, uh, but he's twenty seven years old. It, like, you know, let's be honest. If he wasn't a former first round pick and a Kansas City kid, like, would, if he was, if his name was like Abraham Almonte, like, would we be talking about him being like a, like a kind of yeah, he's gonna make the team guy? Like, I don't think he'd be in the conversation at all. So, I don't know what do. You, is 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 Bubba Starling yeah. like is he does he have a secure place on this team? I mean, I've gosh, that's a really tough one. Um, yes, I think he does. I think they will. I think they will um, lean on the idea that he's only had 197 plate appearances um, and, and think that well, you know, he made a lot of strides. Blah blah blah. He's been around for a while. He's still got options left. No, he does have uh, options left. I'm sorry, sorry. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. I'm sorry. That's why I just forget that he's already out of options. Uh, already? He's like 27 years old. <laughs> well, but I know, but he's only had 197 MLB yeah, plate yeah. appearances. Uh, and it feels like he literally just like 
he's been around since 2012, but it doesn't feel like he's been around since right. 2012. Um, so yeah, I think that they're going to stick around for a little bit longer uh, because does Brett? Wait, wait, is Brett Phillips out of options? He's also uh, out of options. That's just thinking. I just put my thing. To, uh, man, by the way, anybody remember Jorge Bonifacio? Uh, I just yeah, I, saw, guys, I think I saw a story that he's going to be the starting right fielder for the Tigers. Uh, oh, okay. Like, well, good if, that for him. Told you, if that tells you where the Tigers are right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I do think that, yes, I, I do think that because they're going to need to keep that rotation of Solaire might get a little outfield work. Dozier will get outfield work. I do think they're going to keep rotating that. Merrifield will play second, that they're going to need those guys. And carrying two outfielders is fairly easy um, for the most part, especially if you've got a guy who can be multi-positional on the infield with his, like, Merrifield can. Um, so I think he sticks around, yes. Matt, what do you think? Um, I think that it all revolves around one word at this time of year, and that word is inventory. The Royals have, um, for years really um, – really emphasized inventory um, as a deciding factor, right? And so what that means in practice is that if they have two guys and one of them might be better, but he has more options and the other guy doesn't have options, they'll keep the guy who doesn't have any options remaining, meaning he can't be sent back to the minor leagues without going through waivers. They'll keep him in the major league uh, roster. So I think just based on uh, precedence and based on what we know about what the Royals have done and about um, the options um, of Starling and Phillips, or lack thereof, I think both of them are locks to, to make it. The rotation will have pretty much four locks. Danny Duffy, Brad Keller, Jacob Junis, Mike Montgomery. You know, as Matthew said, they probably won't need a fifth starter till like the second, I think, week of the season. Uh, so they may not have a fifth starter in the rotation uh, to start the year. Uh, Sean, it, I guess I guess we say, it, will there be a fifth starter? Will there be a four-man rotation? Will it be Brandy Singer? How, how do you kind of see that shaking out? No, they're going to go to five. Um, I, you know, I think they're going to let... Lopez a little bit more leash, Montgomery a little bit more leash as well. Um, so no, I I think it's a simple answer. Mike, in, in my opinion, I think they're going to go with five: Duffy, Junis, Keller, Lopez, Montgomery. Uh, Matthew, what do you think? Yeah, I'm earlier in the in the spring. Eh, it's not spring; it's still February. A couple of weeks ago, I thought that Foster Griffin might be that fifth starter, um, but as I've thought more of this, uh, I think that Jorge Lopez is that guy because he is sort of the perfect guy for that um, in that if the Royals don't use him as a fifth starter, they can still use him in the bullpen in those first couple of weeks. Um, first of all, second of all, the Royals have been really high on Lopez. Um, I think that's probably the wrong move. Lopez has not been very good to put it nicely as a starting pitcher. I think if he is going to be any good, it'll be in the bullpen. Um, but he's one of those guys that you can, put him temporarily as a starter and then move to the bullpen um, if and when uh, Singer or Coar or Lynch is, is ready to take that spot. If you put Foster Griffin there, he's he still has a kind of teeny eensy bit of prospect, not shine so much, but you know he hasn't made uh, his debut in the big leagues and you would want him to get you know a little more run as a starter. And I don't think you would want to promote him to the big leagues and then yank him around like that. But so that's why I think Jorge Lopez is is that guy to be that fifth starter slash long reliever um, if they don't use him like that. 
Foster Griffin making the team feels like such a 2005 Royals like guy that didn't perform well in AAA, but we're putting him in the rotation just because you know we don't have anyone else. Um, I I have Jesse Hahn as kind of like a temporary fifth starter to start the season, and I think he's a guy that can skip, I guess, the first time through the rotation, and then he makes maybe that first start when they need a fifth starter, and maybe another, and they just ask him, hey, because I know he's coming off like two years off with injury, so maybe they just ask him, hey, go four innings, we'll piggyback you with like Jorge Lopez or Glenn Sparkman or someone. Uh, and, and maybe he does that a couple times. They, they look to kind of build up his strength, arm strength. And maybe, you know, if he can find something, then maybe, you know, it's possible he becomes a, a an asset that they can look to trade possibly at some point midseason. And maybe he goes back and forth between the bullpen and, and the rotation. Uh, I think the ship has sailed on Lopez in the rotation. I just, I feel like they, and probably for good reason, that they don't feel like he's a starter at this point. Um, now maybe because they, because of urgency, they, they put him out there, but I, I don't, I don't think Jorge Lopez is going to be seeing too many more starts, but I guess I could be wrong. I, you know, it's certainly, I've certainly, there's been, certainly been a lot of pitchers I didn't think would start ever again, and they've made plenty of starts. So, uh, the bullpen probably has three locks, maybe four. Uh, Ian Kennedy is certainly a lock. Scott Barlow is a lock. Tim Hill is a lock. And then it, probably Jesse Hahn as well, but that still leaves, uh, if you have a five-man rotation, that still leaves, uh, I guess, four plus <laughs> four plus five plus what? Four more spots in the bullpen up for grabs. So, Sean, how do you see that shaking out for the Royals? Uh, well, first off, um, I saw a bunch of people pitchers make starts and I never thought would make starts again. Is the early two thousand Royals motto? I think <laughs> is what it was. Uh, Definitely. But, um, yeah, so my, my bullpen, if we've got the five on, on there, um, so you got well, Lopez okay. In Actually, so you, and then, so yep. the bullpen shakes out. So Kennedy, uh, Kennedy, Tim Hill, Barlow, um, I think Greg Holland makes it, uh, just if only briefly before he gets ultimately DFA cause he's 34, but I think he makes it. Um, the, uh, the guy from the, the rule five guy from the race, Stephen Woods, I think makes it, um, and then Han and Kevin McCarthy. What am I at? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Uh, and then I had 13. I'm trying to do all my math. 13 plus five. 20. Oh, I'm missing one guy still. Dang it. I'm not used to 26 just yet. Um, Give me a second. You guys talk amongst yourselves. I'll figure out who I think the 26 guy is. I keep forgetting this. <laughs> um, so I've got in the bullpen, I've got Kennedy, Barlow, and Hill. I think those three are, are locks. And again, I have Lopez in, as a starter. Oh, wait. Stamon. Stamon is my 26 guy. I wanted to get him before Matt said it so that I'm right. Stamon. All right. Excellent. Um, for what it's worth, I agree with you. I think Josh Stamon will be in here. Um, and he looked you know, really good this week, I thought. Yeah, I mean, so I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I felt like um, when he was pitching for the Royals uh, last year, he was sitting more around like 95, 96 with his fastball. Um, and his reputation, at least, is that he's a guy who can throw triple digits, and he wasn't really doing that any, any close to that last year. In spring training so far, he's been like upper 90s, like 99 heat. Um, so he's he's looking pretty well, he good. Had, he hit triple digits today in Arizona, and I don't know if those guns are hot, but it, I think Alec Lewis is saying he hit 102, which 
you know, take that for what you will. Yeah, that that's a lot. So if, if Stamatz is really pumping that heat, you know, how can you not have him? Mm-hmm. Um, so he's the he's the fourth. Uh, Kevin McCarthy. Um, Kevin McCarthy. I totally forgotten this. He debuted in 2016. Can you imagine that? It's been four, four seasons in which he's been uh, been here, and you know he's been pretty decent over the last three seasons. Uh, per Baseball Reference wins above replacement, he's been worth a combined. Uh, two um, which is not really bad for just like a cog in the bullpen so i think you know he's pretty reliable he'll he'll get a spot uh, so that's five um and then the, the last three are really really kind of up for grabs i think one of greg holland or trevor rosenthal will grab one spot i don't know if both of them will i guess it depends on on their performance i just don't see both of them pitching well enough to both make it although that could certainly happen um I think Richard Lovelady um, is going to get one of the spots. I think, you know, because Nedios is gone and Mike Matheny is here. And, you know, there were some rumors, at least, of some uh, butting of heads between Lovelady and some staff last year. I think they'll sort of realize that he's probably one of their best left-handed reliever options. Um, And then the eighth spot, again, inventory goes to Stephen Woods Jr. I think just because, you know, he's already on the 40-man um, and they have to keep him the whole year. I don't think he survives the whole year, um, but if they want to keep him, he has to, and you can't keep him the whole year if you don't have him for the first game. So I think at least he starts in the bullpen, even if he may not last very long. Um, I think he's probably a candidate to be cut um, or, you know, or sent back to where he came from um, in May, but, but I think he starts off the bullpen. Go back to where you came from. Uh, yeah, so I have Jesse Hahn in my rotation. Kennedy Barlow Hill, your locks. Um, so I, Jorge Lopez is going to be in my bullpen since I don't have him in the rotation. Uh, I also have Greg Holland making it, which I was really skeptical of uh, a week ago. Uh, Craig Brown had a good article about why, you know, Greg Holland is his chances weren't great, um, because his velocity is way down, his command is way off. He looked pretty good in his two outings this week. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that he's a lock at this point. Uh, he still has kind of an uphill battle, but um, if he's reasonably healthy and reasonably effective, I think they'll they'll do whatever it takes to keep him on the team just because they see, I mean, number one, they, I think there'll be some nostalgia, but also, you know, they they probably see him as a guy that if he can put it together could be a trade asset. I think that's, that's they, they see some value in that. I have Trevor Rosenthal also making the team. I think, again, that depends on him being reasonably healthy and reasonably effective which is it's a pretty big wild card, but I think if those things are, if, if he can show those things, uh, he'll make the team as well. Um, I have Glenn Sparkman, who they've kind of hyped up as like a guy that could be successful in the bullpen. We'll see about that. Uh, and then I have uh, Kevin McCarthy, who, yeah, you're right. He's kind of been around for a while. And I, there's some used readers and, and people on Twitter that are like kind of down on him. It's like, he is what he is. He's a perfectly adequate reliever. You know, as a last guy coming out of the bullpen. He's kind of been shuttled back and forth between Omaha and Kansas City a lot. He does have one more option here, so I think that'll kind of work against him a little bit. So if they if they do want to keep Stephen Woods or Josh Stallman or Richard Lovelady, uh, it could come at his expense, I guess. But I have him making the team. I think Stallman they'll send to Omaha just to get a little more seasoning. I think Woods is he's making the jump from high A. I just don't see him being able to show he's effective in, in the spring training. Uh, and Richard Lovelady had that knee injury or knee surgery in the off season, so I think they're going to want to see him like, kind of establish his health. Uh, Kyle Zimmer as well, like he he's going to be the guy that 
um, he got a, he got granted a fourth option year, so that'll kind of work against him. And he'll, the Royals will send him to Omaha to kind of work on some things. So I think Stamont's going to be the guy that throws so well in spring training that fans will be upset that he gets demoted, uh, and probably for good reason. Um, but but just I think kind of like, kind of like you say, because of uh, inventory a little bit, but also I think there are kind of some other guys. I think they want to see pitch their way off the roster before they give a chance to a guy like Stalmont, which kind of sucks. But um, but there will be some guys that pitch their way off the roster in April, <laughs> I imagine. Uh, so he may not have to wait too long. So yeah, inventory, that, inventory. Yeah, that stinks for Zimmer though, right? It's like, oh, congrats, you got a fourth option, which means now we can demote you yeah. <laughs> this year at any at any point we want. He, he, I wonder if he's like, no, I, I don't want a fourth year option. I let me be out. But. Yeah. Well, and frankly, though, like the way he threw last year, he yeah. was probably going to be designated. Yeah. I don't know if he'd be probably designated for assignment at some point this year. And I don't know if he'd be claimed off waivers or not. But, um, you know, he'd have to he could probably use some more seasoning uh, just to, th- you know, recover from his injuries and throw strikes. So uh, hopefully hey, I forgot more. about the love lady knee surgery thing too. Wow. I, I don't know why I missed that story. Apparently well, um, read Royals review, I guess. I know. I don't, I don't know what the heck I'm, what's going on, but uh, what do you guys think? I, I was looking through the options remaining. Does, does when, who was the last Royals player? God, I think, I, I think I know the answer, but who Brad Keller has not been optioned yet. And it does not seem like he will be optioned. Who was the last Royals player that went their entire, you know, six years or seven, whatever, uh, of total control without being optioned? Did Hosmer get optioned? No, I think once he came up, he was up for good. Salvi, Salvi the same way, but Salvi came up before Hosmer. I thought um, maybe Perez had been optioned for injury or something. You know what I mean? I, uh, I guess you don't have yeah. to be optioned. No, no because he, he, got in, he got hurt that offseason. Um, okay. But they gave him a big contract, I mean, like immediately. Remember? Oh yeah, yeah. Not a big right, contract, right, but right. A, con- a lengthy yeah, contract. Yeah, yeah. Definitely uh, not a big contract. Yeah, probably Hosmer. I guess. Uh, I would guess. Okay. But, I just was thinking. Uh, yeah. Um, let's wrap things up with our Royals review reviews. Uh, Matthew, do you want to start us off? Yeah. So, the for those of you who don't know, uh, I have a music degree. I'm a French horn player, a trumpet player, a choral singer. In country music, right? You have a music degree in country music. I don't think that's a thing. I mean, maybe in Nashville, but huh. but no. Um, so I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about a a sort of phenomenon that I've found um, in in terms of pop music um, and the things that I like in pop music. And one of the things that I like is I found out that one of the quickest ways to my heart is to write a song in 6-8 as opposed to 4-4. Four, four. This sounds very complicated, but... Most songs are in 4-4, four, four, right? You go 1, 2, 3, 4, and then the snare is on 2 and 4. Like most rock songs are like that. Um, you know, it's very simple. Now, 6-8, um, you have basically, instead of chopping it up into four groupings of two, you chop it up into each measure into two groupings of three. So you have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And for whatever reason, I, I don't know what it is, but like there's – there's just a lot of songs that I really like that are in six, eight. Um, and for those of you who just maybe need a song title to think of, of what it sounds like, um, we are the champions by queen is in six, eight, uh, kiss from a rose, um, by seal also in six, eight, um, run away with me by Carly Rae Jepsen. Also a six, eight feel. Um, I don't know. I, I really like it. Um, and, uh, 
just next time you listen to some pop music, see if you can uh, tell um, if it's in if it's in four four or six eight, and uh, six eight is is better. Um, I'm there, I'm gonna say it. I like to hear songs in six eight. I think it does. Uh, it's more interesting rhythmically, um, and it leads for some you know really interesting opportunities for um, melodies and individual like guitar and key parts. All right, Sean, what do you got? Um. I'm going to go with Matt Beautiful. I played trumpet all through high school, and I, I, I couldn't tell you the difference between 3 4, 4 4, 6 8, or any of those things. I just, <laughs> I was in marching band, and basically I had trouble just memorizing the music and the movements, so I just only knew the movements. And so I basically just pretended like, literally pretended I was playing the entire time. Hey, man, uh, marching band is hard. They don't, yeah. like, you don't think about it, it's hard. It's yeah, it's stunk. Uh, my my review is Avenue Five, which is on HBO. Um, it's okay. I don't know. I like Hugh Laurie a lot. Um, Zach Woods is in it. He's pretty good. Josh Gad's in it as well. Um, it's by the creator of Veep. It's kind of the similar style as Veep as well. It's this space flight, um, this recreational space flight with you know like a thousand or something people on it gets basically stuck out in space for longer than expected and everything goes wrong so it's okay um worth a watch but it's one of those like oh it's tuesday and i don't have anything to watch okay i'll catch up on avenue a not something i would you know go right to like curb your enthusiasm curb your enthusiasm which is on sunday nights right before it so avenue a worth a watch but i don't know and that's on hbo not great yeah on hbo sorry and that is available on youtube tv right uh, well, Sinclair actually just bought the show, and they're in a fight, so maybe not. So my uh, Royals Review Reviews this week uh, was mentioned on the Clearing Waivers podcast, just to plug them really quick, because I was their first guest. Uh, it's run. It's a podcast run by our own Josh Kaiser, uh, uh, and they they had a draft of, of participants on Cameo. I don't know if you've ever heard of Cameo.com, but it's a service where you can hire celebrities and I and I'm using air quotes when I say celebrities to give you personalized mes- messages and if you go to their site it's it's kind of like a I don't know it's just like a weird like mishmash of celebrities from different um, categories uh, so for instance there's the Brady Bunch's Barry, Barry Williams there is um, Redman uh, the rapper there is Brett Favre and NFL legend Brett Favre uh, but what's really interesting is that they all come with different price tags. I guess more the more famous you are, the higher price tag you can have. So, like, Favre is $400 to get him to do a message. Uh, what's interesting is uh, Chris Harrison, the host of The Bachelor, is $525. But The Bachelor himself, uh, Ben Higgins, is only $100. Uh, but the Kansas City connection is you can have Kansas City Royals players uh, actually get uh, send you a personalized message. You can have Whit Merrifield send you a message for $100, uh, Brett Phillips for $30. Uh, and if you want to invest in the future, MJ Melendez, the catching prospect, is available for just $14. Uh, they also have former ALCS MVP Alcides Escobar for $50 and NFL and MLB legend Bo Jackson for a whopping $400. Uh, so I'm just kind of fascinated by this website. I Actually, there, there was a similar website uh, many years back. Um, that I I did use to send a friend a birthday greeting, and I hired Dennis Haskins, the actor who played uh, Mr. Belding on Saved by the Bell, 
to send Heck him a yeah. birthday message. And I think that was only like 25 bucks at the time. So I think prices have gone up since then. This seems to be an industry that is on the rise. So I would tell people to buy stock in Cameo.com because uh, it's just a, a wild, wild menu of celebrities. Uh, and if you want to get a personalized message from your favorite people, um, I would recommend it. So uh, Cameo.com. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Thanks again to Sean and Matthew for being on the show. And thanks to our readers and listeners for visiting our site. And we'll talk to you next time.